BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Thursday, April 25th, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, it's just an earnings bonanza. Facebook, good. Tesla, bad. Microsoft, really good. In fact, king of the world again. Nintendo, not so much. Oh, and the whole Luminary Podcast Wars Game of Phones, as Nick Qua called it, had a crazy new wrinkle today. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. We are deep in the meat of tech earnings season now for sure. Facebook last night reported Q1 revenue of $15.08 billion, up 26% year-on-year on advertising revenue of $14.91 billion, which was also up 26% year-over-year. Facebook's stock opened up significantly on news that was essentially a beat, but what raised eyebrows for some was that it did so despite this other news. Facebook also disclosed that it expects to get hit with a 3 to $5 billion fine from the Federal Trade Commission and is thus setting aside money to pay for that. But wait, wouldn't investors be upset to learn that Facebook would be hit with billions of dollars in fines? Well, no, actually, because that number is more than manageable for Facebook. $15 billion in revenue, I just said. And in fact, with the stock up, It's added something like $20 billion in market cap overnight, so, you know, pocket change. Actually, we're going to talk more about this on a weekend episode about the whole investor sentiment, investor psychology thing around this. But let's come back to some of the numbers Facebook reported, because for all of the strum and drang around the company, this is a company that, again, by the numbers, is doing just fine. $2.38 billion monthly active users, and 1.56 billion daily active users, and that's just on Facebook's core product. Across its family of services, 2.7 billion people use a Facebook product every single month, and growth is back in Europe. Remember, a big headline from last quarter was that Europe seemed to be shrinking. Quoting from CNBC, Facebook saw its user base in Europe grow to 286 million daily active users, up from 282 million last quarter. The company's user base in the U.S. and Canada remained flat quarter to quarter at 186 million, end quote. The company said average revenue per user was $6.42, up 16% from $5.53 a year ago. And what was that about social media evolving? Facebook said that Facebook Stories, which includes stories on Facebook Messenger, now has 500 million daily users and WhatsApp status has 500 million DAOs as well. As a comparison, we just learned that Snapchat has 190 million daily active users. So this would be more then, wouldn't it? Facebook also has 3 million advertisers already buying story ads 
across its apps. So as Josh Constein tweeted, we can expect a Stories Ad Network announcement similar to Snapchat's recent announcement of a similar network any day now, right? As Jihad Afone tweeted, quote, Not much about what Facebook has done lately is good, but the way they were able to act quickly, copy an innovative feature, and excel at execution is amazing, end quote. Things were not so rosy for Tesla. Analysts were expecting Tesla to announce revenue of around $5.7 billion for the quarter and a loss of $1.21 per share. Instead, Tesla announced that it made only $4.5 billion in revenue and lost $4.10 a share. Huge misses on both counts. Tesla even had to report a miss on deliveries, saying it delivered 63,000 vehicles in the quarter compared to the 76,000 analysts were expecting. And the problem is, on top of losing $702 million just last quarter, Tesla also had to make a massive $920 million bond payment. This means that Tesla's cash on hand now stands at $2.2 billion. So worries of a cash crunch might actually be coming to pass. This morning, an analyst from Morgan Stanley said in a research note that Tesla would need to raise at least $2.5 billion in fresh money by the third quarter of this year. Asked during the earnings call yesterday about the likelihood of raising fresh capital, Elon Musk said, quote, I don't think raising capital should be a substitute for making the company operate more effectively. I do think there is some merit to raising capital, but is sort of probably about the wrong timing, end quote. But things were much better over at Microsoft, where they reported Q3 revenue of $30.6 billion, up 14% year-over-year, as net income rose by 19% year-over-year to $8.8 billion. And the hits just keep on coming in Redmond. So-called intelligent cloud revenue rose 22% year-on-year to $9.7 billion. Productivity and business processes revenue came in at $10.2 billion, up 14% year-over-year. Azure revenue was up 73%, and even Surface revenue was up 21%, which is super impressive because wasn't the hardware computing market supposed to be shrinking? Interestingly... Microsoft now slices its main businesses into three segments, and they're all contributing about 30% of revenue. So what was that we were saying about having a balanced revenue pie? All of this was enough to bump Microsoft's stock price, briefly sending the company over the $1 trillion market cap mark, becoming only the third company ever to reach that milestone after both Apple and Amazon did it previously, only to have their stocks come back to earth a bit. But that does still mean that Microsoft is, at this moment, the most valuable company in the world. The last time it held that title was back in the year 2000, before the dot-com bubble burst. As Charlie Biello noted on Twitter, none of the other nine companies that were in the top 10 in terms of market cap back in the year 2000 are still in the top 10 today. Only Microsoft. But... Swinging back to some bad news, this time from Nintendo, the game maker missed analyst estimates for Switch console sales, with 17 million Switch units shipped in 2018 and only 18 million forecast for 2019. Oh, and that rumored new cheaper Switch that some people were expecting to launch at E3? 
Not so much. Quoting from Bloomberg, Shares have rallied this year on optimism that a cheaper version of the Switch, a stronger lineup of games, and a potential entry into China will help overcome last year's missteps and broaden Nintendo's customer base beyond dedicated fans. But President Shuntaro Furukawa tamped down those expectations after the results, saying the China launch is far off and there's no plans to unveil a new Switch at the Electronic Entertainment Expo in the U.S., end quote. We're being sponsored today by a company on a product that longtime listeners know I have used for years and cannot, literally cannot live or at least work without it. 1Password. 1Password combines industry-leading security with award-winning design to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. Companies lose hours every day just from employees forgetting and resetting passwords. A single data breach costs millions of dollars. 1Password secures every sign-in to save you time and money, any device, any time. 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. I started using 1Password, what, a decade ago? Join me and over 100,000 businesses on board the 1Password bandwagon. Because right now, my listeners get Get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride. That's two free weeks at the number one, the word password, all one word, dot com slash ride. Onepassword.com slash ride. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you ka-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. Once more, 5G finally really getting here is finally really happening because Verizon today said it has begun taking pre-orders for the Samsung Galaxy S10 5G, the first of the Galaxy lineup to come with 5G capabilities. Pricing begins at $1,300 for the 256GB version and the 512GB version comes in at $1,400. The S10 5G is a Verizon exclusive in the U.S. at launch, which is expected on May 16th. If you're one of the pre-orders, you'll get a special VIP kit, which includes a pair of the wireless Galaxy Buds and a wireless charging battery pack and a water bottle. So the first of the flagship 5G phones 
is coming available for pre-order. But that's not all, because why buy a 5G phone if you can't actually get 5G service, right? Well, quoting from CNET, In addition to the new Galaxy, Verizon on Thursday also revealed the names of 20 cities that will get 5G in 2019. New to the list are Atlanta, Boston, Charlotte, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Columbus, Dallas, Des Moines, Denver, Detroit, Houston, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Missouri, Little Rock, Memphis, Phoenix, Providence, San Diego, Salt Lake City, and Washington, D.C. No timeline was announced for when the company will be turning on the 5G network. Verizon had previously promised to turn on 5G in 30 cities in 2019 and earlier this month launched mobile 5G in parts of Chicago and Minneapolis, end quote. Okay, now maybe this really will open me up to charges of inside baseball stuff. But hey, this is a big new player launching into an interesting tech niche. So if I weren't in podcasting, I would be covering this for sure. Here you go. Last night, someone tipped Marco Arment off to the idea that Luminary, that Netflix for podcasts startup that I told you about yesterday, might not just be pulling their podcast episodes from publicly available podcast feeds to serve to their listeners. Instead, it looked like they were serving shows through a complicated proxy and CDN system. Here's how The Verge described it, quote, When a podcast player serves a show, listeners' requests are usually sent directly to the server that hosts it. Luminary said today that it's added an extra step to that process. Instead of directing listeners to the original podcast server, it's routing the requests through its own servers first. The company says it's doing this to streamline the listening process and make it faster for users, but doing so means that podcasters don't get accurate data on where their listeners are coming from and how many people are actually listening, which is vital information for understanding their audience and selling ads. The podcasters also didn't give Luminary permission to do this, which could have copyright implications, end quote. Yes, for podcasters, this is problematic to say the least, and I guess the best way to explain this is to use this show as an example, if you'll forgive me. If 100 people download today's episode on Luminary, I hope to get 100 pings to my podcast hosting server so I can report those download numbers and thus those ad impressions delivered on behalf of our sponsors, right? If there is some convoluted system that might entail, I don't know, Luminary downloading the episode just once, caching it, and then delivering this episode from its own servers, then I don't get credit for the 100 downloads. I might only get credit for one or some number less than 100. You can see what the problem would be there. As I alluded to yesterday, I, like most podcasters, had a wait-and-see attitude toward Luminary. Yet another podcast app, yet another place for people to hear this show. They want to charge money? Fine. Maybe if they someday have 30 million subscribers, I might start to think, you know... Netflix doesn't get to show anything on its platform without paying creators, nor does Spotify. But for now, I was like, whatever. Again, another place for people to hear the show. But if they are stepping in between me and the primary way this show gets monetized, my work gets monetized, then that's another story entirely. That's not exactly stealing from my pocket, because it's not like Luminary would get the ad money that I am missing out on, but they are blocking me from getting that ad money, so at best, it's like cutting a hole in my pocket. Well, so, 
Marco raised a stink on Twitter. Lots of other people followed suit. There was lots of back and forth about what was actually happening. Luminary said that all requests for shows on its platform hit the original URL and RSS feeds first, but some people were definitely not buying that. Friends of the podcast, Owen Williams and Federico Vitici, announced they were taking their podcast down from Luminary. Ben Thompson said he would be removing his podcast as well. Quote, I still, at the end of the day, have a fundamental problem with even a proxy. You should not be able to go to http forward slash luminarypodcasts.com URL and see my content. I will still be removing exponent, end quote. Again, quoting from The Verge, If I go in and click play on a show on Luminary, we as a platform do not get real data back, Simplecast CEO Brad Smith says. We get the IP address and location of a proxy server around the globe, end quote. Smith says that the team looked at the thousands of plays coming from Luminary and saw only a grouping of IP addresses, all of which are Luminary proxy servers. This prevents creators from getting useful information about their show, he says, and it could hurt their ability to connect with advertisers. Under the Interactive Advertising Bureau's podcasting standards, the type of proxy traffic Luminary is sending has to be thrown out because it's classified as bot traffic. Quote, creators and podcasters are completely blind to what traffic their RSS feeds are getting on Luminary. Smith tells The Verge, end quote. Now, Marco has been on this beat all day. I actually reached out to him in the morning to see if he'd come on for a weekend bonus episode to talk about this whole brouhaha, but he demurred because we couldn't be sure yet how this was all shaking out. And good call on his part because 30 minutes ago, Marco tweeted this, quote, Confirmed the at here luminary podcast making proxy URLs are now serving HTTP 302 redirects. Glad they responded quickly. Should have been done properly from the start, but at least they fixed it. If they don't pull any more proxying shenanigans, I'll consider this resolved. There are lots of other reasons to dislike them, and I'm sure they'll keep giving us more, but at least this one appears to be resolved. End quote. And so, at the end of the day, what's the takeaway here? Maybe it's this. If you're an upstart in a given industry or community and you intend to some degree to build your business on the shoulders of, at the grace of, at the discretion of an existing community, especially an existing community of content creators, this whole do it first and ask permission later maybe won't fly if you're dealing with our hard developed content. Luminary already had the difficult task of convincing listeners to pay for podcasts, which are largely free, and now they have the difficult task of regaining the trust of the podcast creators who, again, at best, they might have hoped would be partners with them as they build their business. Now, at worst, they have tipped their hands and shown that they intend to think of podcasting as another ecosystem to strip mine for value and leech off the value created by others while trying to create a de facto rentier monopoly, just like every other big tech media player has turned out to be. Not a good look. Not a good launch week for a $100 million startup. I'm super late on the show today. It's 3 p.m. and I still haven't even started recording. So I could come up with something pithy to say here, or I could just try to get the show out by 5. Gonna do that. Talk to you tomorrow. They'll pay you $75 a week. We only make 30 at the dairy. Well then, this would be more, wouldn't it? <laughs>